Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. Here with me is Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is our Director of Predictive Analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. Gentlemen, Sean and Chris, how was week one for you guys? It was pretty much break-even for me. I'm just happy for football to be back the Antonio Brown saga was kind of annoying um, on Saturday, you know, having a deal with that. Um, I kind of took away from some of the time projecting all the other players. But yeah, week one did not disappoint. Very exciting. Excited to talk about some of these guys that broke out. Um, I'm really curious to hear what you guys think. And, you know, projecting these guys once we have, you know, a small sample size is always a fun time for me because I think, you know, people overreact or underreact. Um, so I, I love week two. It was actually a pretty good week for me, except for the fact that it was even less sleep than usual because uh, my friend decided he was going to have a wedding this weekend. Um, and it, it was rough. Like we were, we were literally doing those things that you would kind of expect people to be doing at a wedding, like watching games on our, on our phones. And just like, you know, every minute I was like, I was writing articles. It was, it was, it was nuts, but uh, had a pretty good week one. And yeah, excited to, uh, Talk to you guys and I'm really excited for our guest because uh, he's a guy I'm kind of familiar with. Yes. Well, it's, it's week two. We got a lot to talk about. We're breaking down the top of our rankings, which you can find at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. We're discussing the guys we're high on, the guys we're low on, the potential streamers and flyers and the daily fantasy values, fades, and tournament plays. Uh, we're going to speculate on a couple of props. Uh, at the end of the show, we are going to answer your Twitter fantasy questions. And here for all of that is TJ Hernandez, a longtime friend of the show, the director of DFS at 444, and a host of the DFS MVP podcast. TJ, thank you for joining us. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Always nice to be uh, over on the Labs podcast. Uh, I think this is probably over five times now we've been together. And then, of course, uh, Raybon, my old partner in crime. Good to, good to talk to you, buddy. Yeah, there. Let's get this money. TJ, before we get into the position by position talk for week two, uh, I want to kind of get your thoughts on how do you weigh what we saw in week one against the prior assumptions for players and teams that you had entering the season? You said prior assumptions. Like, there's a reason that we were, I, especially DFS, like the way I'm looking at like, my early season DFS values, I'm looking for players that I expected to break out. Those would be values uh, going into the season. And unless there's some crazy injury or a crazy timeshare, like in a backfield or something we didn't expect, uh, I'm still looking to those guys. Uh, and of course the, the most obvious thing to look at is chase the volume, look for the volume. Uh, there's always going to be players in week one that have the splash plays that score two touchdowns out of nowhere. Uh, don't look at the fantasy points. We're still looking at target shares, touch shares early in the season, uh, snap shares. Those are going to be the most telling things. So as long as we're following the volume, uh, following the playing time for the most part, you're going to be okay. All right, let's uh, get into it. The top players uh, at the quarterback position in our rankings, uh, which uh, have just come out, they're live on the site now. We have Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson as the top two quarterbacks, no surprise. And then Lamar Jackson all the way up to number three. Uh, Who are your top three quarterbacks for week two? 
Uh, if we're just talking about a value, someone that stands out opposite of Patrick Mahomes, I really like Derek Carr um, on DraftKings. $5,100. Uh, we just saw Jacksonville, Nick Foles, and uh, Minshew combined for 350 yards, three touchdowns, uh, and an interception, just 28 fewer yards than Patrick Mahomes in that same game. Obviously going to be a lot cheaper value. Uh, we're just able to, to project quarterback so well and not have to pay up for that high-end quarterback. Uh, Kansas City is a, a team we were targeting a lot last year, so if we're talking about a DFS value, Derek Carr is someone that really stands out to me. Sean, you have Mahomes, Watson, and Jackson all ranked in your top three. Can you talk about – I mean, I think it's not a surprise that Mahomes and Watson lit it up this weekend. It is a surprise – I think in the way that Lamar Jackson had a lot of success in week one, um, he entered the season with the, the reputation of being a guy who was more of a run first quarterback. And if he gave you something through the air, that's fine. And then he did hardly any running at all and just lit it up through the air. Uh, what are your thoughts on him and what we might see going forward? Yeah, so he's one of the most, you know, intriguing guys to project going forward. Um, I had mentioned in the offseason, you know, his rushing ability gives him that high floor, but it, it was going to have to be his passing game um, that will unlock his, his ceiling. And what we saw week one was incredible. And he really didn't run the ball. I think he had less than 10 rushing yards. Um, so I think, um, you know, game scripts where it's a close game, we're going to see him, um, you know, reach his ceiling a lot more where he's, he's forced to throw and run. Um, and, and it's hard to really judge week one because, you know, um, they abuse the Dolphins. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense is being better than we thought than really anything um, Dolphins related. So again, this week, uh, it's another good matchup against the Cardinals. So they could be, um, you know, leading by a lot. So they, they might not need him running as much. But yeah, I have number two right now, just because his, his pass and rushing um, just like increases the ceiling way more than I even imagined. So he's going to be a top five QB for me in most matchups going forward. Raybon, uh, are you still on, not necessarily for this week, but for the season, are you still on Deshaun Watson as the number one overall fantasy quarterback? You know, I mean, I had him, I had him number one this week. I think, you know, it, it was kind of neck and neck for me with, with uh, Mahomes, but I think going forward, you know, he's good. They're going to probably flip flop, I think, on a, on a weekly basis, I would say, because, you know, Watson, he can run. And I think, you know, we kind of saw it yesterday, even without QT, you know, Kenny Stills helped him out where in the past, you know, that that offense is very thin. You know, Stills able to catch a weight touchdown. They're not really thrown to the tight end, which I think actually helps. Uh, and, and Watson can still run and he, he's kind of getting better at, I think, you know, knowing when to run and knowing when not to. I mean, the couple of runs they called from were, were just excellent. Um, this week against Jacksonville, it's, it's going to be a tough matchup. But the bottom line is, you know, we saw what Mahomes was able to do against Jacksonville. So the matchups come into play, but they don't factor in. It's not like a 50-50 thing where you're just taking the opposing fantasy points and like averaging them out, you know, between offense and defense. Like that offense is still going to kind of dictate um, the pace. So I still have him as number two. I have Mahomes uh, as number one and I have Lamar Jackson as number three. All right. Uh, one guy I'm pretty high on this week is Dak Prescott. We obviously know he has the the rushing floor. Um, I think one thing that really changes how we should approach him moving forward is the emergence of Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. Uh, I tried to be a little bit pessimistic entering the season uh, about Kellen Moore just because he didn't have any play calling experience. And I thought he still might be uh, tainted a little bit by the oversight of Jason Garrett. But I think Kellen Moore is 
really the guy who's running the show and the Cowboys were aggressive and inventive in ways that they haven't been in previous seasons. So uh, I'm pretty high on uh, Dak Prescott this week. TJ, you mentioned Derek Carr as someone uh, that you're uh, high on relative to his, uh, his price or relative to maybe where he is in other rankings across the industry. Uh, is there anyone else that you think you are relatively high on this week? I was actually going to bring up Dak just because we saw Washington. Uh, they looked good in the first half uh, against uh, Philly, but uh, I think that had a lot to do with Philly starters like playing no preseason snaps, especially Carson Wentz. Just from a DFS perspective, we can go back to Minshew as close to a min price guy uh, down to 4,800. And that salary savings is obviously going to open things up a lot for you um, in DFS. But I mean, if you can go up to, to Carr for only 300 more, I think that's the better play. But I, I really uh, prefer to pay down a quarterback if I can. Uh, Sean, what about you? Uh, anyone you think you're relatively high on? Yeah, for me this week, that would be um, Josh Allen. I think I have him in my top 10 right now. He's only 5,300 on DraftKings. It's always hard to tell if he's going to be high-owned or low-owned, but I love his matchup this week um, at home against the Giants, who just you know got laid on by Dak 400-plus yards. Obviously, you know Josh Allen's nowhere near Dak's level. But, you know, it showed, you know, uh, week one, you know, having those veteran receivers they brought in, uh, Cole Beasley and John Brown, I think those are going to help him out in the passing game. Um, and we saw his rushing ability is still there. I never thought that was going to go away. Um, you know, he had 10 rush attempts. So, uh, again, similar to Lamar Jackson, you know, when you have their passing floor raise and you still have that rushing ability, I think it helps their uh, floor-ceiling combo. Now, you know, having said that, Allen had four turnovers last week. He had two interceptions and two fumbles lost. So, you know, this week, you know, I, I'm expecting more of a ceiling game from him. So, you know, 5,300, given this slate, I think he's going to be one of my heavily owned uh, QBs for this slate. All right, Raybon, who are you high on at quarterback? Uh, the guy I've been high on, you know, pretty much all offseason, didn't really do too much uh, in week one. But Jared Goff, uh, I really like him back at home against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Deshaun Watson put up a plus 12.7 plus minus on DraftKings, uh, you know, against the Saints defense. And if you just look at, at Goff, you know, he was actually a guy who dropped a little bit last week in the rankings leading up to game time because um, he does tend to struggle a little bit on the road compared to at home. If you go back and just look at his splits um, with Sean McVay at home, He's averaging uh, 313 yards, 2.1 touchdowns per game and, and yards per pass of 8.8. .8, whereas on the road, uh, he's down to 233 yards per game, uh, 1.7 touchdowns and, and just 7.6 yards per attempt. And those numbers, uh, the efficiency increases a little bit more even when you just isolate the games with Cooper Cup at home. So that goes up to over nine yards in attempt. So um, I like Goff back at home against the Saints. I think this is going to be a, a high scoring game and a game where they're going to need some points. And, you know, Goff's still under 6K on DraftKings and has that, that upside to be the number one QB on the slate at 5,900. He's actually the number three quarterback in our models in terms of projected plus minus on DraftKings. Yeah, the, uh, the game isn't at the Superdome, a.k.a. the Coors Field of Fantasy Football, but it should still be a pretty high-scoring affair. TJ, I want to kick it to you to talk about a quarterback you are relatively low on. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is more just from a kind of the inverse of what I said, where I, I like to pay down a quarterback uh, when I can on in DFS, and, and we could replace quarterback points pretty easily. Tom Brady, 6,400 versus Miami. Uh, obviously, the Patriots are, are going to be one of the, are the biggest favorites of the week. Probably going to score well over 30 points, but uh, with that, probably going to draw a ton of ownership. And if there's one thing we know about the Patriots, it's just there's going to be a, a ton of touchdown variants. I mean, even if they score 30 points, they're liable to have three of those go to their running backs. Uh, Brady can have a great game 
game and still throw one touchdown. The blowout factors obviously in play. So if there is touchdown variance going against Brady and they're up by something like 20 going into the fourth quarter, all of a sudden he's not playing at all. So, I mean, the Patriots are going to have a great game. They just have so many weapons. We've seen, seen it so many times. It's just, a, it's from a fantasy perspective, it's such an unreliable offense because they don't care about getting one guy a, a ton of targets or touches and there's going to be a lot of hype with uh, Antonio Brown. I think that's only going to drive up ownership on this team even more. Sean, I think you are also relatively low on Brady. Uh, What are your thoughts on him and then any other players you're also low on? Yeah, so for Brady, you know, I think he's a good floor play this week. I just think with him, his ceiling's lower than people realize, at, especially at that price. I'm actually, this is a rare situation where I'm, I'm projecting, um, you know, Jared Siddham to get some snaps in this game. I, I think it could be a blowout. So the question is, will Brady have, you know, three passing touchdowns before that happens? But I'm avoiding him. And then again, I think I'm way lower on Kyler than most people this week. I have him ranked 28th right now, which I think is a bit too low. Um, I think this week we will see more of his rushing ability so that's going to help um, his floor a bit but right now I'm minus eight ECR you know if I'm building 150 uh, teams right now I'm not really getting much Kyler so he seems to be the guy um, in that range where I mentioned earlier Josh Allen is the same price I'm just gonna have way more Josh Allen uh, than Kyler who has a tough matchup against Ravens this week 28 in the quarterback position that is some pretty massive disrespect I have to say but he does have the the really tough matchup Uh, Raybon quarterbacks that you are relatively low on this is kind of something I talked about going into the season and it, it's unfortunate because I don't think it's much of his fault. He's at, he's going to have a, his second tough matchup in a row, but Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, he's the fourth highest priced QB uh, on DraftKings on, on the main slate at, at 6,500. And I, I just don't think that should be the case. You know, I have him just as, you know, at 10th, I might drop him a little bit low. I don't know if he necessarily deserves to be in the, the top 12, even after you kind of saw Chicago, you know, not not do much on offense, but play well enough uh, on defense. You know, Rodgers has the one big play where, uh, you know, he can do that, but, you know, you're kind of relying on that, uh, you know, to happen on a week-to-week basis against another strong defense that kind of shut out the Falcons, who, you know, I was probably higher on than I should have been last week. Um, you know, I'm just not feeling it for, for A-Rod, especially as a, a top-five price QB, uh, you know, in DFS. I think, you know, he'll get some – maybe some, like, contrarian love or whatnot, but I think he consistently gets – um, you know, overrated in, in these fantasy spots just because of his, uh, his name value. All right. The guy I'm relatively low on is Lamar Jackson. I have him at quarterback eight, which I think is too low. I'm probably going to bump him up a little bit where he ends up around quarterback six, but, uh, I'm just a little pessimistic on uh, the passing production that we saw out of him in week one. Not that I don't think he will be a better passer this year than he was last year. I think he would naturally improve. And I think he has an offensive coordinator in Greg Roman who will help facilitate his improvement. Um, But I'm just, I'm I'm not going all in on him as a top three quarterback. Uh, I think I, probably have a more in the five, six range ultimately. Uh, But speaking of Lamar Jackson, uh, we should talk about some player props. Uh, By the way, we have a wonderful player prop tool uh, at fantasy labs. Everyone should be sure to check that out. That is powered by the projections that Sean corner creates. Sean, give us a couple of early props that uh, you have your eye on. So the first one um, is the guy I mentioned that's, you know, he's fascinating trying to project this week. So I need your guys' help on this. But uh, Lamar Jackson, passing yards, uh, 238 and a half. I'm going under. 
I have him uh, a little bit lower than that. I think we did see the improvement. We did see the improved, um, you know, accuracy. I think he only missed on what two passes out of the the twenty five he threw. But um, I think there will be some regression. The the, the tempo is probably a positive for him. But I, I still have him throwing about thirty passes, and I, I think he comes up just a, a tiny bit uh, short of that number. And also, I mean, this this Baltimore team is a really good team. So you know, he's going to be relying on this efficiency to, to hit a lot of his marks. I think throughout the season, uh, still have him as a top three. QB, but I uh, do have him uh, in the 220 range in terms of pass yards. Yeah, I'm going under. I have him uh, right, right where Raybon said, almost exactly a 220. I, I could see this being a relatively run-heavy game, especially if they get out to a big lead. I'm going to go uh, against you guys and go over. We saw this Arizona secondary. Uh, two backup cornerbacks get kind of shredded by Matthew Stafford, a, a team that I don't think wants to throw a lot, um, and is two receivers that I was going after just because of this uh, Patrick secondary. So there, there is a scenario where we see a similar game script to the one we saw in Miami, and these receivers are able to uh, take advantage of this week's secondary. So I'm going to go slightly over, probably not another huge game, but uh, I can see 250, 260 pretty easily. All right, and uh, next up, Andy Dalton, um, who is fresh off a 418-yard performance without A.J. Green. Um, another tough one to project this week, but um, at San Francisco, I'm ha- I have his line right now at over under 250 and a half. I'll go over. San Francisco, I think they have a really bad defense. I mean, I know like Arizona has a really bad defense too, but I I think the difference uh, here is that Cincinnati under their new head coach, Zach Taylor, I think they are actively looking to pass the ball. And so I I think they will be a little more pass heavy. I have Dalton closer to like 260. So that's where I'm going. I'm going under. San Francisco's defense has this poor reputation, but we did see, you know, in the offseason, some potential improvement with the front seven. We thought, you know, it was pretty talented and it could kind of gel. And I think we have to kind of look at like quarterbacks versus uh, expectation. That's when you're analyzing a matchup, you can't, you can't just look at it in a vacuum. So, um, you know, we still have a small sample to go off of, but um, I, I think the fact that, you know, we saw Jameis Winston, a, a guy that I think most of, most of the industry is pretty high on um, and, and rightfully so really underperformed against that San Francisco defense in week one. And so I think you have to kind of account for that a little bit and you don't count on a guy like John Ross going for, you know, over a hundred and two tutties every week. You, you know, some of these things that you know, had that advantage um, in week one as the, as a first, time head coach, right? With Zach Taylor, you know, they haven't seen anything. You haven't put anything on film. It's tough for an opposing defense. Now you come back around um, week two and I think things kind of settle down a little bit more. Yeah, I'm going under. I have him, you know, not not far under, but I have him, um, you know, in the high 240s. And so, uh, yeah, that, um, that's why I'm going under. I'm going to break the tie and side with Friedman, uh, go over. I think San Francisco, a lot of people are going to see um, what they did to Tampa Bay last week and, and kind of side with the 49ers. But I agree with Friedman. I think this is still a, a mediocre defense. That game had probably one of the uh, widest ranges of outcomes of any game just because of how bad the Tampa Bay offensive line was. Uh, and 49ers obviously hit their ceiling. And I think that's why we saw a lot of sharps on 49ers and GPPs. Now Cincinnati, uh, they don't have a good offensive line either, but unlike the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're not going to ask Andy Dalton to take these long dropbacks uh, like Arians does for Jameis Winston. And uh, unlike Jameis, um, uh, Andy Dalton is, is a little more conservative. I think he'll be able to uh, to handle what Tampa Bay wasn't able to handle, a little uh, more short passes. He's not going to make these horrible plays that Jameis does, so uh, I'm going to go over All right, let's talk about running backs. And, I mean, locked into the top three, I'm assuming everyone has uh, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and Alvin Kamara in the top three. Um, TJ, 
are you uh, with the consensus there or do you have someone else in the top three? No, I don't think there's any way to get away from that. Uh, the only thing people might see is that if they're just looking at numbers that Saquon was down to like a uh, 65% uh, touch share and uh, and gave up some work to Gallman, but that was really just because the Giants were getting smoked. He's still going to be a 80% backfield share, 50% uh, team touch share guy. Uh, so I don't think there's really much to say about those three guys. They are great. They're the clear consensus. All of them are very reasonable DFS options. And in season long, you obviously play them if you have them. Uh, let's talk about the players that we are relatively high on in the rankings. TJ, who do you like? Who stands out to you? Yeah, we were just talking about this game uh, in terms of passing, but I think running backs on both sides of this game are going to be really good values. Uh, Giovanni Bernard, 5,300. Matt Breda at uh, 5,200. Obviously, Gio's uh, play is going to be tentative on whether Mixon plays with that sprained ankle, but uh, he's questionable. They said he might be able to play week two, but obviously uh, an ankle is um, is tough. It's not the high ankle sprain, it sounds like, but it sounds like he could uh, miss week two. Giovanni Bernard had uh, 17 and 19 touches uh, in the game with uh, mixing out last year. San Francisco allowed 171 total yards to Tampa Bay running backs last week, a team that typically doesn't uh, provide a lot of running back production. And then uh, we just know that that Mike Shanahan backfield is, is going to be productive, especially if there is a guy that can carry the load. Breda had 15 touches last week. Uh, now with Tevin Coleman out, I think he has 20 touch upside. All right, Sean, uh, what about you? Who's catching your eye? Um, so for me, it's both Redskins backs. Um, so Chris Thompson and Adrian Peterson, um, especially in DFS, you know, they're priced um, as if Darius Geis is the starting running back and he's obviously supposed to miss um, some time here. So I think, you know, Adrian Peterson, um, especially after his first benching ever, is going to come out, um, you know, motivated this week. Um, and then Chris Thompson showed that, you know, when healthy, he is one of the premier um, PPR backs is, you know, like a potential flex play. Um, this is a matchup where they should be trailing against the Cowboys. So um, I, I love Chris Thompson in DFS and especially in PPR formats if, if you're kind of thin at running back. Um, and then I guess, you know, Trent, long term, this isn't a backfield I really want to invest in. But, you know, uh, the good news was Trent Williams, it, it sounded like he could re- report uh, maybe not this week but next week um so i think getting him back um and especially after how good the offense in general looked um week one um there could be some potential value in these guys all right raymond uh who are you looking at here a guy i'm pretty sure you know anyone who stayed up to watch the late monday night football game uh saw josh jacobs of the oakland raiders rookie back they went out and got him in the first round uh he got even more of the touches than I anticipated. He actually got 23 of the 26 carries for the Raiders, scored the touchdowns, got the goal line work. Jalen Richard wasn't really involved uh, at all in this game. Um, so I think that's a really positive sign for Jacobs. And now he has a matchup back at home against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, a defense that we know is vulnerable, but an offense that we know is going to put up some points. So, uh, you know, I think the fact that we didn't see much uh, Richard is a really positive development for Jacobs because that, that kind of gives him the upside to, hey, you know, he could catch some balls here and there, um, even if the Chiefs go big. And, you know, Derek Carr, he's, he was super efficient. Tyrell Williams, he's like the one guy that, that he can go downfield to at this point uh, but besides that I think it's kind of you're going to see a lot of Jacobs a lot of uh, Darren Waller because they're their best players so I uh, really like Jacobs this week he is uh, as, as it stands the the number one running back in terms of projected plus minus in our DraftKings models on fantasy wise 
the one thing that's really encouraging about Jacobs uh, is that not only did he get a lot of carries, uh, but he had only one reception. And I think there's room for him to uh, increase as a receiver. So uh, I think it could just be onward and upward for him. Uh, The guy I'm really high on is Austin Eckler. I expect Melvin Gordon's holdout to continue for a while. uh, And I think Eckler is really locked into his role, which he's not going to be a 20 carry guy ever, but I think he will be locked into that you know, 10 carries at a minimum, 15, 16 as the high end. But then the real thing is the targets, he's locked in to a target floor of at least five. And I mean, that can go upwards to maybe 10, just depending on game script. Uh, And he's so efficient with his touches uh, that I think even though he's not, you know, the the voluminous back that some of these other guys are, he could sneak into a a top five finish, uh, maybe even top three finish uh, at the end of the week if he gets some touchdown luck. So uh, he's a guy I am really high on. Uh, TJ, who is someone you are low on? If we're looking at pricing and uh, games, I think people are going to be attacking. Obviously, that Kansas City Open game is one that's going to be very popular. Uh, Damian Williams is at 5,800, and I think people are going to look at that relatively cheap price tag and say, oh, I have the starting running back for the Chiefs in a high-scoring game. That's an obvious play. Uh, Shady McCoy saw 35% touch share with virtually no preparation going into that game. I think that only increases as the season goes on. And there's just a lot of reliable options in that price range. Um, Mark Ingram's at 6,000. I already mentioned uh, Braden Bernard cheaper. Sony Michelle, if you're into that, you just mentioned Austin Eckler, Chris Carson. Those guys are all priced around Williams. And I do think we could see his touch share continue to decrease as Shady gets more acclimated to uh, getting back with Andy Reid. All right, Sean, uh, who are you low on? Um, Sony Michelle, and it's it's really tough because, you know, the, the, the Pats are favored by nearly 20 points against the Dolphins, so you just figure this is a Michelle game, but it, it's almost too much of a positive game script where you almost have to think they, they kind of preserve Michelle in a spot like this. Um, you know, having said that, you know, his week one is pretty brutal, so I don't think that people are going to be loading up on him. So he's a tough call. I think he's going to need a couple touchdowns to hit value at that price. Um, we saw week one, you know, he wasn't involved in the passing game at all. Um, Rex Burkhead was actually way more involved than I anticipated. Um, so this backfield is in a void for me right now. One of these guys will probably have a huge game against the Dolphins, but right now I, th- I think you're just throwing darts. So uh, I think a game like this where they're favored by a ton, they, they actually might preserve Michelle as opposed to giving him, you know, 20-plus touches. All right, Raybon, what about you? I mean, the guy that stands out is, you know, unfortunately Todd Gurley, um, just because all, all offseason we kind of wondered what would happen and where would his snaps be. And he, he played he played about uh, about 70% of the snaps, but had, you know, 12 carries, Malcolm Brown 11, so and only one catch for Gurley. It just wasn't the, the, the same kind of volume that we, we hoped for with Todd Gurley that we've seen last year. They were clearly – um, you know, kind of trying to mix it up and, and, and keep them fresh and kind of keep them within a certain uh, touch range, 30 to 40% drop off from what we'd normally expect from Gurley. So, uh, you know, I don't think he'll always lose out on the touchdown variance, you know, to Malcolm Brown the way he did in week one. But I think that we have to kind of adjust uh, expectations, um, you know, for those that haven't already. I think there are backs priced lower than him that, uh, you know, I would project for a higher uh, median and, and a higher floor. Uh, so um, I think in DFS that 
he's a guy that people are going to try to get cute on after the, the, the slow week last week, but I, I think he's still over overpriced. Yeah, I think it's uh, particularly unimpressive that he wasn't used at the goal line and didn't have much receiving work, which those are like two things that even if a guy isn't getting a lot of carries, uh, they can really buoy his production. So that he's not getting those is really significant. The guy I'm relatively low on, at least for one more week, is Ezekiel Elliott. Played only 37 snaps last week. And I think, you know, at least for week two, they will still be easing him uh, into the offense as he works his way into football shape. So I think in season long, if you have him, you, you still have to start him, but he's a stay away from me in DFS. Sean, what props do you have for us? Um, so the first one um, was the guy I mentioned earlier, uh, Sony Michelle. I think he's really tricky to project this week. I have his overrunner for rushing yards at um, 65 and a half. Uh, I'll take it just because I, I tweeted late night pretty much exactly what Sean said. Um, I said that Burkhead saw 34% of Patriots touches in week one and that if it does get out of hand, that he can be the one getting getting the late game carries. It's like a 20-point game. So, yeah, again, there's just so much variance in this offense that uh, I'm going under. Yeah, I, I love how uh, Belichick had Brandon Bolden get the first carry. <laughs> yeah. you know. He's 100% scoring two touchdowns this week. Everyone knows that, right? James, James Devlin is in yeah. play, too, if that's the case. I'm going to go over, you know, in these kind of games where you do have these large deficits, uh, a big reason for that tends to be because, um, you know, the main guys are being uh, efficient. So even with kind of, you know, having Michelle conservatively in his, his current touch share right around, gets right around 16 per game, you do expect more um, rushes in a game like this. Like anytime you have a, a team with a huge, uh, that's a huge favorite, you expect some more rushes. Um, and so that kind of helps with, you know, even if this, you project the share to go down a bit. So, I have him uh, just slightly over that, um, th that 65 mark. So I I'll go over on this one. Yeah, my heart wants to take the under, but uh, I have him projected for a nice 69 yards right now. And I, I think I'll probably stay there, but I don't know. I can definitely see the case for the under. Like in reality, I wouldn't bet this. And I'll be interested to see, you know, if they activate Damian Harris, I think we should look into that. Um, it's just really interesting to see how they're going to handle uh, the running back situation this week. Next up um, is Ronald Jones. Um, it it kind of looks like he overtook the three-way uh, running back committee. So projection of um, 52 and a half. Uh, I'll take this one first again. Uh, I'm going to go under. Even though he did see a huge uh, percentage of, uh, of the rush attempts, the snap share was pretty even three ways with Peyton Barber and uh, Agan uh combining for nine targets. Ronald Jones only saw one. Uh, this Tampa Bay defense is still one that you can attack through the air. Carolina really disappointed uh, in week one. A lot of people were excited about Curtis Samuel and D.P. Moore. I think they bounced back in a big way. Uh, they're favored by six and a half. I, I think they probably cover that pretty easily. And if that's the case, I don't think Jones sees uh, enough time on the field to get to that number. I'm going to go under as well. Uh, it, I think TJ kind of hit on it, the snap share. And, you know, this was something that I think was kind of exacerbated by, you know, the, I'm getting into a passing script late, but you had Ogunbowale at 26, Barber 25, Jones 22. Um, Jones just happened, you know, he, he got 14 rush attempts, Barber eight, and then Ogunbowale zero. So it's like, it was just kind of one of those scripts where I don't think you can as confidently say, okay, Jones is going to get, you know, this 60% or so, you know, 65% uh, because, you know, there's going to be the case where, Hey, sometimes they're, they're going to be in just different scripts. They might be in, in a pass heavier script. And you worry that 
they could he could actually come off the field more because he only did like four he ran four routes and blocked four times. We had 45 pass players. So that tells me that they don't like him in pass situations. That can always kind of kick your time, your timeshare down or at least add variance to the situation to where I think you have to be a little bit conservative with him. When you get to like about three, four games for running backs, that's when the sample really starts to, to stabilize and you can use it a little bit more reliably. So I'm going to be a little conservative for the next uh, you know, one to two weeks and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of rely on what happened um, strictly with the, the, the carries and the, and, the, and the catches a bit more. Yeah, I'm hopeful with Jones, but uh, one good game does not a lead back make, and he was pretty bad last year. I'm going to go under as well. He did look impressive. He, he It's not as if he broke off one long run and then had a whole bunch of short runs. He had a good number of chunk runs. Uh, so just kind of all, all the way around, uh, he looked like a much improved player relative to last year. But again, I will be curious to see what uh, people do with him on DraftKings. Uh, I mean, it's not as prevalent as it used to be, but in general, we see in inflated ownership on those Thursday games. So I think he's probably um, an added fate just from that aspect. We kind of trashed the Bucks O-line, but they actually did run block pretty well. So, I mean, I don't know if Jones and Prue, I mean, they, they had the number four run block ranking uh, in PFF for week one. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean it was the back all himself. I mean, he, I think he did look a lot better, and he, but he obviously needs the O-line to, to play good football because I think you still do worry long-term about the, the Bucks O-line. And so, yeah, I think you have to kind of be a little conservative here. All right, well, on the topic of uh, DFS, DraftKings has some huge fantasy football contests this week for week two of the football season. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football, is giving new users a free shot at over $1.5 million in prizes with your first deposit when you put in the code NFL pod during signup. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Plus, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. That is some extra cash to play with this football season. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at over $1.5 million in prizes. Download the DraftKings app now and use the code NFL pod for a limited time. Both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500 new users. Don't forget to enter the code NFL pod to get a free shot at over one and a half million dollars in prizes with your first deposit. That is NFL pod only at DraftKings. minimum $5 deposit required deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough eligibility restrictions apply. See draftkings.com for details. Speaking of DraftKings, the king of DraftKings is joining us. Peter Jennings, AKA CSU Ray. 88, a two-time DFS world champion and co-founder of Fantasy Labs. Peter, how did week one go for you? Sunday went well, had a really strong ROI. The Monday slate was brutalizing for me. I was very wrong about the Broncos uh, defense. Yeah, Raiders look good, especially uh, Waller and uh, Jacobs looked good. Uh, so we might talk about some of those guys. But first, I want to get some of your thoughts on week two, uh, kind of from a roster construction standpoint. How do you think you're going to be approaching cash games and GPPs? Yeah, great question. I think starting at quarterback, uh, there's some spends that are definitely in play. And then there's a couple of cheap options, which we'll talk about. So that'll really dictate how you uh, build your teams. I do think there's some really cheap stacks that are available uh, we talked about Oakland a little bit. We'll get into more of those players. Really depends on, on, on you know, which stacks you're most intrigued by. But I think the, the big linchpin up front is going to be spending up a quarterback or spending down. 
There's some really nice values at running backs. There's some good spends, and the same thing is applicable for receiver. The one position I expect to be kind of concentrated in terms of price is going to be tight end. I think people are really going to want to spend down because there's some really good options there. So maybe being contrarian by spending up at tight end, especially after uh, Kelsey underperformed last week, could be a, a nice, uh, nice move. I want to get some big picture thoughts here from you. So week two is always interesting because we've finally seen some real game action uh, in week one, but it's only a sample of one game. So you can't put too much weight on it. So how do you balance what happened in week one with the assumptions you had about players and teams entering the season? Yeah, I mean, the best opportunity to be contrarian might be week two. Um, you know, people are going to overreact to the guys who did really well in week one. So while there's some guys I still really like that went off, in tournaments especially, finding guys that uh, – might not have had uh, you know the best game, but are still on the field a lot and still have some of the things that you were hoping made them a good play for week two. All right, at quarterback, who has caught your eye for week two? So I think that two spends up top are Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. You know, Mahomes is people are talking regression coming into the year. He looked like the generational quarterback that he was last year. He's just ridiculously talented, and uh, you know this game could really shoot out. And the Chiefs are going to have one of the highest team totals every single week. So I think you can always consider Mahomes. At quarterback, uh, that game is going to be very stackable with the cheap Raiders options and uh, Watkins, you know, Kelsey, and some of these cheap receivers, which we'll talk about for Kansas City in a bit, are all nice stacking options. Uh, like Lamar Jackson as well, coming up a huge game. I think Arizona is a great matchup. And then the guy that I, I'm that's standing out from maybe a cash game perspective is Josh Allen, uh, who had, you know, somewhat of an ugly game, but still got there, you know, right around 20 points in fantasy, and now faces the Giants, who just got absolutely torched by Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. So those are the quarterbacks I'm looking at early in the week. Yeah, and all three of those quarterbacks are popping in our player models at Fantasy Labs. As far as the running back position, uh, who are you looking at? Well, this will start the talk of the Raiders. Uh, Josh Jacobs, 4,700, way too cheap, uh, going against Kansas City, which we saw Leonard Fournette get a lot of opportunity. I think he's a really viable option. Breda, depending on uh, the whole San Francisco situation, looks like another kind of cheapish guy that makes a lot of sense and then the guy that I'm probably going to prioritize spending up on the most uh, throughout the whole week is Alvin Kamara guy was so electric on Monday Night Football a little unlucky actually pretty unlucky I think not to score a touchdown so I expect some regression there uh, great matchup we saw what Chris McCaffrey just did and I think Alvin Kamara is my running back one so if I'm going to spend it's there uh, and there'll be a lot of options I, I think you can look to someone like say Sony Michelle who had an awful game uh, and Patriot running backs are, are maddening to take but in tournaments you can bank on some real upside with Sony Michelle going against this Dolphins team uh, that looks like it's given up uh, I tweeted out I think the Dolphins could be you know playing the Dolphins is like going to Coors Field and MLB DFS yeah at wide receiver who are you looking at yeah, so the one Raider you didn't mention is Tyrell Williams, Tyrell the Gazelle. He looked incredible coming off a huge year in San Diego, and now he's the true number one. I was impressed with Derek Carr in the offensive line for Oakland. Uh, going against Kansas City, you know Kansas City's going to put up points. So the pass catchers for Oakland, I think, make a lot of sense. So I'm really looking at him initially. And then the one interesting thing that I'm going to dig into more are these receivers for Kansas City with the Tyreek Hill uh, news. Uh, Demarcus Robinson and McCole Hardman should step in and play a lot. McCole Hardman played a lot of snaps once Tyreek Hill went out and Hardman it really is similar to Tyreek I mean I'm obviously been a big supporter of Tyreek Hill on the football field uh, some questionable decisions and some stuff off the field that's not great but McCole Hardman uh, is the closest thing that the Chiefs have ran a 4-3-3-40 uh, electric player and given a lot of opportunity I think he has a chance to have some really big ceiling games uh, and I think everyone's gonna be on Sammy Watkins after last week and that was one of the things I got right in tournaments last week had a lot of Sammy Watkins I was so impressed with him 
uh, in that game. Obviously, he's going to be a chalkier play, and he's really expensive now. So these cheaper Chiefs receivers. And if I'm spending up a receiver, it's going to be Michael Thomas. I love these Saints guys. Michael Thomas is a very similar story to Alvin Kamara. I was very impressed with him. Uh, could have had a huge game and didn't. So I think it's a good time to buy Michael Thomas. Yeah, and uh, on uh, Tyrell Williams, the thing, and also Josh Jacobs, the thing that they really have going for them is they have that Monday night football discount where salaries were released uh, before they played. So in a sense, you get that uh, that discount that's built in. And then uh, yeah, Hardman uh, is actually pretty similar to Tyreek in that uh, they both in college score touchdowns in a variety of ways as return men, as rushers, receivers. So uh, a lot of potential there for him. At tight end, who are you looking at? Yeah, speaking of the same thing with Oakland, Waller looked incredible. Uh, he got a ton of offseason hype. I drafted him a lot in late rounds, and his ADP kind of shot up at the very end of uh, drafting season. Uh, looked incredible, has the same situation uh, with the other Oakland guys in that, uh, you know, it was priced before, you know, the game was actually played. Very encouraging opportunity. John Gruden, uh, you know, talking about how special uh, Waller is as a player, and you can just see it on the field. So, He's another tight end uh, that I'm looking at. All those Oakland guys are intriguing. And then Hawkinson uh, is one of my absolute favorite guys outside of the elite tight ends, my most drafted guy in the offseason. This is a truly special player in terms of measurables. You know, the, the, the MVP of the rookies for the Lions uh, coming off a game goes over 100 yards, scores a touchdown. I know it was an easy matchup for Arizona, but at 3K uh, on DraftKings, Hawkinson just stands out. Uh, he has measurables like Gronk and Kelsey. Honestly, he's probably the best measurable tight end we've seen in a long time. Already breaking the mold for rookie tight ends, having success in week one, and I expect him to have success throughout the season. Yep, future Hall of Famer and uh, going against a uh, Chargers defense that is without Derwin James, uh, an easier matchup than people would maybe suspect. Pete, thank you for taking the time to drop in. I'm going to kick it back to the other guys. At Action Network right now, we have Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas as our top three guys at wide receivers. TJ, who do you have in your personal top three? I mean, I don't know if you can venture out of that right now. I, I wanted it to be Odell, um, but I don't know what to expect from, from those guys right now. The only thing I would say is that it looks like DeAndre Hopkins is by far uh, the number one, and then it's kind of everybody else. He's just so dominant in that offense, and, and him and Watson, that combo, he's my number one one by a pretty big margin. Let's talk about the guys that we are relatively high on in the rankings at wide receiver. TJ, uh, who has caught your eye? I'm going to go really deep here. Uh, there are five players priced uh, below $5,000 on DraftKings that saw at least 25% of their team's targets in week one. The cheapest one of that group is Cole Beasley. He'll be playing the Giants this week. Uh, Randall Cobb and Mario Cooper combined for 491-1 on six targets on their routes from the slot against the Giants last week. Uh, Sean mentioned that he's high on Josh Allen, so it would make sense to get his highest volume receiver. Obviously, John Brown's going to be the sexy play there, but uh, Beasley down at 3,800 if you are somebody that really likes to jam in to expensive running backs. And I think this is a week to consider it. I don't know if you have to do it, but Beasley's a guy that lets you get there. All right, Sean, uh, who are you looking at here? Um, so the first one's pretty obvious, but it's Tyrell Williams. Um, you know, the pricing came out before my football. So, you know, especially after that breakout, um, I think he's going to be pretty highly owned at 4,400, you know, against KC. Um, so he's, he's going to be highly owned. I still think you should have him in cash and GPP lineups. Uh, but the guy I'm kind of going down the list and, you know, who I'm pretty high on this week is Ted Gen. You know, he, he's still ahead of Traquan Smith, it looks like. He's priced pretty much the same as Terry McLaurin, who I think is going to be highly owned. So he's more of a GPP pivot from that. 
Um, I, I think the Saints Rams game is going to be a shootout. So um, he's a guy going to have exposure in um, for these game stacks. You know, with him, he's he's such a high ceiling, low floor play that um, he's a GPP option only. But I think that in this spot, especially in this price range, uh, he's going to be overlooked. All right, Raybon, what about you? Uh, for me, it's Cooper Cup. You know, what we saw last week was a big positive. You know, he was on the field for pretty much all of the pass snaps and you know, played 69 of 77 snaps overall, 10 targets, seven catches, uh, only 46 yards. But uh, I think it's, you know, really promising type of volume uh, for a guy coming off the torn ACL just right back in the mix. Uh, we know Marshawn Lattimore uh, for the Saints, uh, excellent. However, the, the two guys that I think you have to look at, you know, the cornerbacks in the nickel package after him, P.J. Williams and uh, Eli Apple. And, you know, Williams gave up three of four for 41 yards with a touchdown. And then you had Apple giving up uh, two catches on two targets for 67 yards. I think those guys will be um, the guys that you'll see on Cooper Cup more often than not. And then finally, it's another one of those situations where the home splits, we've seen Cup 5.2 catches, 74 yards, and 0.6 touchdowns per game uh, at home under McVay versus uh, four catches, just 50 yards, and, uh, and 0.4 touchdowns. So you see a pretty uh, drastic increase uh, in home games for, for Cooper Cup. And I like him right there in that, at 60 because uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of cheap guys who, you know, people are going to be looking at. They're going to be highly owned. But uh, I think Cup is a rock-solid play, high floor, high ceiling kind of guy. Uh, I'm going with Sammy Watkins. I will be honest, uh, it was hard for me not to put him in the top three, which I know is just total overreaction. Um, but uh, without Tyree Kill there uh, and going against uh, Oakland secondary, that last year was one of the worst in the league. And this year, I don't think is significantly better. There's a lot of upside there with uh, Sammy Watkins. And, you know, last year before his injury, he was a, a low end wide receiver too but he will continue to get pretty significant volume without Tyree Kill. So I have him uh, pretty easily in my top 12. TJ, who are you relatively low on? Tyler Lockett only saw 10.5% of the targets last week, even though he played 91% of the snaps. I did something that I rarely do. I went back and watched every offensive snap for uh, the Seahawks. Pretty much all of the passes to DK Metcalf were designed first read throws for Russell Wilson. And then uh, Chris Carson was obviously heavily involved in the passing game. Uh, Now that could have been something that uh, was schematic specifically for the Bengals. But one thing Lockett thrived on last year was the deep ball. And anytime the Seahawks weren't throwing a a screen or a slant, it just seemed like Russell Wilson had no time. So if there's not going to be time for Lockett to get downfield or Russell Wilson to make those throws, I don't know how he continues to do or even meets any expectations that we have for him this year. All right, Sean, what about you? Who are you relatively low on? It's Kenny Galladay. Right now I have more of a high-end wide receiver three. And, you know, the reason is the Lions can't face the Cardinals every week. So they're not going to have 385 yards to go around. And what we saw was, you know, um, Stafford has four pretty good weapons now with Galladay. Obviously, I still think he's the alpha in that offense. But, you know, Marvin Jones is still going to need his – um, deep balls and then Danny Amendola and TJ Hawkinson had huge games so it's just one of those situations there's too many mouths to feed um, so I think that hurts Galladay's ceiling a bit they face a much tougher matchup this week against the Chargers so he's he's moving down uh, my week two rankings all right Raybon who are you low on for me is Dante Pettis there was kind of smoke coming into the season and you know tried to kind of ignore some of it because you hear a lot during the the offseason, and we thought maybe Kyle Shanahan trying to motivate his guy. But we saw last last week that, that Pettis did not 
play the kind of usage like that we want him to to be on the field for. So I think that you have to kind of go back and say, hey, you know, you know, Kyle Shanahan said, hey, he might be hurt. He's going to play more. But the bottom line is we don't know. We can't take that to be true or not. I mean, he only ran one route. He was on the field for, for two snaps. And if he, even if he is uh, healthier this week, like what is – the true upside there. I don't think he's a guy that you want to be starting uh, unless you're in like a super deep league uh, this week until further notice. And I think he's the usage is too low even for contrarian GPP play because I think they're just, you know, guys that are going to, that are cheaper that you're going to be able to get more of a floor in terms of, uh, of snap count. Yeah, I'm probably still too high on Pettis in the rankings and I, I need to move him down some. The guy I am really low on, probably no surprise, uh, Antonio Brown. Don't get me wrong. I think he will be a great wide receiver three in that offense behind Julian Edelman and Josh Gordon. Uh, and of course, I'm joking a little bit. Uh, I think he will be the, the wide receiver one, but not right away. Um, I think it will take him a little bit of time to, uh, to integrate into that offense. And I mean, there are so many other good players who catch the ball there in Edelman and Josh Gordon that uh, I think at least for week one uh, in that team, I want to be a little bit pessimistic about how much he's going to play and then how aggressive they're going to be uh, in targeting him. So uh, I'm relatively low on him. Yeah, so wide receiver... Uh, there's so many players I want to get your guys' opinion. So let's start off with Antonio Brown. I have for his receiving yards um, at Miami right now at 52 and a half. I'm going over. I mean, it's Antonio Brown. Like, I, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, he's not hurt. And you just look at Lamar Jackson last week. And Lamar Jackson, okay, we, we thought maybe he would take a step forward. But this guy missed on like two passes. They put up 59 points. Everyone caught all of the passes for all of the yards and all of the touchdowns against this team. So it's like – yeah, I, I, I do agree. I think the usage might curtail if it's a, it's a blowout. But I mean, like, this is Antonio Brown against what might be a historically poor defense that a quarterback that looked like he didn't know how to throw the football last year just torched mercilessly. So, like, Antonio Brown, 50-yard games aren't really his thing. Um, you know, he, he's usually up above there if he's on the field for any significant amount of time. So, I'm, I hate to go over because it, it's usually a trap. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go over Against this Miami defense, it's not going to be hard to get loose for one or two. 52 is not a huge number for Antonio Brown. I know there's a few mouths to feed. I know it's his first week, and there's the blowout factor, but I just am of the firm belief that a super alpha receiver is going to get targets coming his way. And and I know you can say Edelman is kind of the same thing. And Gordon, I mean, he's a big play guy, but he only saw four targets last week. I wouldn't be surprised if Antonio Brown has six or seven targets in the first half. Sean, uh, I resent you setting this line um, where you did because I feel like you uh, lowered it knowing that I'm so low on Antonio Brown. Uh, I, I'm taking the over, um, although I would say, although Miami was horrible last week, I, I do think that there could be some uh, sort of 2018 Matt Patricia Lions potential here uh, with Brian Flores coming from uh, New England and being familiar at least with the personnel and with Bill Belichick. Uh, it, it wouldn't be totally unthinkable that uh, he actually it is unthinkable that they could come up with some sort of defensive plan to shut down the, uh, the Patriots. But I, I think the Patriots might not be quite as good this week as we all expect them to be. All right, so next up, um, I'm just going to combine these two guys because they have the same projection just to save some time. But uh, Marquise Brown and Terry McLaurin, over under 48 and a half receiving yards. Uh, since we have two, um, I'll just do it pretty quickly. Marquise Brown against uh, Banged Up Secondary, uh, he 
only played 12 snaps, but uh, that was uh, a blowout. I think that was, had a little bit to do blowout. Still saw 90% target ship and had that DBA dot versus his best secondary. I'm going to go over. McLaurin, I'm going to go under. Played a lot of snaps, but we saw five guys with at least six targets on the Redskins, so they're going to spread it out a little bit. Uh, there's going to be a lot of variance in that offense just because they're not good and because case teams are quarterback and they don't have alpha receiver. Yeah, I'll go under on both. Um, that, I think those are really good lines because I have them both under, but not by more than, than a couple of yards each. Brown had that advantage of never seen this guy. Um, also, that you know that defense, that Miami defense we talked about, we don't know exactly. There's a chance it could just be really bad, and, and like that, it looks like it is, um, and that could have been an outlier. So, you know, with him not really playing any amount of significant snaps, having that unknown factor in his favor, um, I, I, yeah, I still have him kind of projected to be right there at the top for the Ravens in terms of, of share of the targets. And then McLaurin, kind of the, the same thing. It's like, you know, he's he's kind of right there at the top for the uh, Redskins. But, um, you know, this Dallas defense, a tough defense to, to get over on um, on the outside. I think Case Keenum, you know, not a great quarterback, not going to usually kind of bump his efficiency. So I think he kind of comes back down to earth a bit. I have both of them getting, you know, over three catches, um, you know, just kind of falling right short of that of that 50 yard mark. I will take the under on both, although I'm pretty close on both of those. Uh, let's go to tight ends. I mean, the big three is pretty clear here. We have Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Zach Ertz. I don't know if we need to talk about them at all. Just they're all viable in DFS. And if you have them in season long, you are obviously playing them. TJ, uh, who is a player at tight end that you are relatively high on? I'm going to go with the obvious guy here in DFS, Darren Waller, 3,300 versus the Chiefs. His eight targets led the team in week one. I don't generally like eating the chalk at tight end. I think Darren Waller would be very chalky, but you're mitigating that with $3,300 price tag. And it just looks like we're going to be right back where we were uh, last year at tight end, where there just aren't going to be that many options. There's going to be the alpha guys and then just one or two cheap options. So I don't know if you can really um, avoid eating the chalk this week. Sean, what about you? Um, so I think the obvious ones, uh, TJ Hawkinson, 3K this week. So I think he's going to be pretty heavily owned. So I'll probably pivot off of him um, in GPP. So I think this week uh, you actually want to pay up to be contrarian. Um, so like you mentioned, I mean, Kelsey and Kittle are fantastic plays, but also Evan Ingram uh, at 5,200. You know, it sounds like Sterling Shepard could be in the concussion protocol. So if he misses this week, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be hard to, to max out Evan Ingram's target projection. Uh, we saw 14 targets last week. So if Sterling Shepard's out, you know, I just think they feed him the ball uh, a ton here um, against the Bills. So he'll be one of my heavily owned uh, tight ends this week. In transition, just imagine being in a dynasty league and drafting Noah Fant instead of TJ Hawkinson. Uh, you would have to hate yourself right now. Raybon, who are you relatively high on at the position? I really like Mark Andrews. I mean, we just talked about Hawkinson. Well, Mark Andrews gets this same Arizona defense that gave up, you know, six catches, 131 yards, and a touchdown to Hawkinson, uh, and a 15-yard catch to Jesse James. So, seven for 145 and one overall. I know that there was a couple, you know, a little extra plays in that game because of the overtime, but uh, I think you are going to see some vulnerability from this Cardinal team. I think huge upside for, for Andrews, one of the top value plays this week at uh, 3,800. I'm with you there on Andrews uh, in the first go around of the rankings. I'm a little bit lower on him than I want to be. I'm definitely going to uh, adjust that up. Another guy I'm high on is Tyler Eifert. Uh, I mean, he didn't have a great performance in week one, had only 27 yards on five receptions, but he, he did have six targets. Um, and I think that is something that's probably going to be fairly sticky. I could see Eifert having a, a pretty good week here. TJ, who are you relatively low on? 
Vance McDonald, I just don't know if this Pittsburgh offense is one that we're going to be able to trust at all at this point. I know you could kind of look at going into week one. We expect that uh, Bill Belichick's going to take away the wide receiver one who should have been Juju, and that should have benefited uh, some other pass catchers. But it didn't even look like they were bracketing or putting a safety over the top of Juju. I think Pittsburgh offense just looked bad, um, and that obviously impacts Vance McDonald. He saw less than 10% of the targets. And I, I don't know if, if it's overreaction, but I think Pittsburgh is, um, is an offense that I already don't trust. All right, Sean, what about you? Uh, so for me this week, it's uh, Jared Cook. You know, I've talked about it all offseason. I, I don't really like him from a median projecting standpoint. Um, and it was really concerning to see, you know, Drew Brees have a 307-yard game and for Cook to do so poorly. You know, he only saw three targets. Um, having said that, this week is another situation where I think Brees can go off. Um, so if, you know, you're going to take a shot in a GPP, I think he's going to be pretty under-owned. Uh, but in terms of rankings and stuff, you know, we saw a lot of these guys, you know, like TJ mentioned, like Delaney Walker, TJ Hawkinson, you know, a lot of these um, secondary tight ends have, have raised up in my rankings. So Jared Cook has fallen. Um, he's a guy I'm avoiding. But, you know, having said that, he's such a high ceiling, low floor guy that you can't avoid him completely in GPPs. All right, Rayvon, what about you? It's Jimmy Graham. You know, he had the, the touchdown catch last week, but, uh, you know, he only ran 23 routes. Um, the team had 40 pass plays. So uh, he was kind of, you know, Mercedes Lewis was kind of right there, had 15, and then Robert Tanyan, the, the number three tight end, had 10. I think the touchdown, it was, it was a brilliant play by Aaron Rodgers to just throw it up to Jimmy. And I think we do need to see more of that. But this is another tough matchup. I know Austin Hooper kind of had a lot of volume, but the fact that he ran barely over half the uh, pass plays, uh, is concerning for a guy that I think, um, you know, has kind of jumped into that top 10 in terms of, of pricing. I think Mark Andrews, you know, right there has probably, I think you project him for like two more, two, three more points just in terms of straight up median. Um, and he's only a hundred dollars uh, more, but um, I, I just think that the ceiling floor is much lower because of the, because of how many routes, um, how much time he spent on the field. All right. The guy I'm relatively low on is Greg Olson. He had nine targets uh, last week and targets tend to be sticky, but he was so inefficient. And uh, this kind of continues a a trend of inefficiency for him over the past few years. And Curtis Samuel uh, really didn't see the target volume that I think people were expecting him to see. So I could see some of these targets that went to Olson in week one shifting towards Curtis Samuel and other players in week two. So uh, I would expect for him uh, moving forward to see fewer overall targets uh, guys, to close out the show, uh, let's get to some of the questions that we got on Twitter. TJ, I'm going to kick it to you first here. Uh, this is from Cody Sutler. Uh, is Henderson still the stash for Rams or is it better to stash Brown? Brown, 11 touches, 21 snaps. Henderson, one touch, two snaps. Brown. Uh, Rayvon, this is from Kyle P. Is Tevin Coleman worth stashing through the injury? Probably not, but it depends on your league and your roster. But I think I would probably drop him unless I was in like a probably a bigger than a 12 teamer. All right. This is from Joshua Pringle for Sean. Can you give us an update on your favorite bench stash running back? So my favorite ones are still Alexander Madison, Justice Hill, CJ Anderson, Malcolm Brown. Um, some of the ones that I think um, jumped up my backup running back rankings would be Ido Smith, Wayne Gallman. Seems like he's Saquon Barkley's handcuff, Rex Burkhead, um, and Raheem Moser. You know, the 49ers running backs are dropping like flies. So I, I'd stash him as well. All right, Raymon, is Tom Brady worth keeping as the second quarterback to try to trade later if you already have someone like Carson Wentz, Lamar Jackson, Dak, et cetera? I mean, yeah, I would keep him through this week because the Patriots just have such a ridiculous kind of expectation with Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Like, hold on to him, see what he does, then try to flip him. Hopefully he has a big week this week. Yeah, I think you keep him because there is a actual chance that Brady throws like 50 touchdowns this year with the wide receivers he has. 
Okay, uh, Sean, this is a question from Steven Dominguez. What are your thoughts on Jameis? You know, I think people are directing questions to me because my draft plan was literally just wait till, you know, rounds 10 through 13 to take either Jameis, Dak, or Lamar. So the Dak, Lamar guys aren't panicking, but Jameis guys are. You can drop him. He'll probably stink this week against Carolina, and then he'll probably still be available ahead of week three, and you, you could pick him up there if you want to get back on the Jameis Winston roller coaster. Raybon, if you have Njoku, uh, would you drop him to add Hawkinson, or would you uh, add Hawkinson and just keep both guys? I would keep both guys. I think that, you know, Baker Mayfield wasn't right. I know he had some x-rays on his hand. It just was like an uncharacteristic game for, for the Cleveland Browns, but I'm still very high on them. And, and the bottom line is Njoku still, you know, found the end zone, did what he had to do. So, yeah, I would, I would hold on to both those guys at this point. Very talented guys. All right, TJ, this is from Javier. Pick one quarterback for the rest of the season. Cam Newton, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott. Dak's just a new quarterback with Kellen Moore, and then obviously you saw how different he is with Amari. Uh, Dak's the guy for me here. All right, Raybon, this is from Dino Fontaine. What is your confidence level in the Steelers' offense getting back on track? Relatively high. I think, you know, this was something that I, kind of, I had the under in this game. You guys can, you know, follow me in the Action Network app. That, that was right. I thought the Patriots defense was just that good, and I, I don't think that'll be the, the situation going forward. It was just a rough, uh, rough game for uh, Pittsburgh going on the road in week one. Yeah, Steelers outside of home uh, tend to struggle. Sean, which head coach uh, is your favorite to uh, get fired first? The favorite to start the season was Jay Gruden at 3-1. to one. I think that still remains true. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, it was the first time Adrian Peterson has been benched um, in his career, and that's kind of how you lose a locker room, and it could expedite Gruden being fired. All right, uh, TJ Hernandez, thank you for joining us. Everyone, be sure to follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker, Chris Raybon, and Matt F. The Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. That is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network podcast. Check out the rest of our episodes this week, as well as our live shows on Thursday and Sunday. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or wherever you get your podcast. See you again next episode.